all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The medical information presented on Southern Remedy is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and should not be used for any diagnostic or treatment information. The information conveyed does not create any kind of patient-physician relationship. Please consult your health care provider before making any decisions about your specific medical condition. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, where we discuss issues involving your children as they're growing up. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. GI complaints are very common in our pediatrics and internal medicine patients. We see everything from stomach aches to diarrhea to constipation, uh, Crohn's disease, celiac disease, irritable bowel syndrome, all kinds of things. We see all of this in our clinics. And so today, uh, we were going to talk about some of these common complaints and illnesses that we'd see. We would love to hear from you. You can always send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. So I felt like this was a, a good topic to talk about today because it is a very common problem that we see in our clinics, but it's one that nobody really wants to talk about. Um, and what do you do? Uh, because abdominal pain is a very common thing that our kids complain about. And so uh, parents want to know, like, when should they worry? When should they bring them into the doctor versus are they just trying to get out of going to school or trying to go to practice or whatever it may be? Um, and then adults, they have a lot of issues with this as well and just really don't want to have to deal with going to the doctor and figuring out what's going on, uh, particularly some of the workup that comes along with belly problems as you get older, um, like a colonoscopy, for example. A lot of people don't even like to hear that word when I mention it in clinic because they know what that means and what's coming. And so today, just going to talk some about common GI complaints that we see, when you should worry, what you can do at home. I wanted to bring up this topic too because this is something that I personally have been dealing with for the past three weeks with my little girl. We um, had, I don't, I really don't know what started it necessarily, uh, but we've had lots of issues with her stomach for the past month and I think we've finally gotten it squared away. Uh, but just to let you know too that it happens to all of us. It happens to all our families um, and it can be such a frustrating thing to deal with, um, especially when you can't get a good grasp on it and it seems like it's lasting forever um, and you're changing diaper after diaper after diaper. So we've all been there and I feel you if you're going through this right now. And so just going to talk about that today. 
Uh, so the first thing uh, is going to just talk about abdominal pain. So what do we do and when should we worry about abdominal pain? Because kids complain about abdominal pain all the time. Babies, not really so much. Um, and it's hard to really know if a baby is having pain in their belly. Um, but one of the things that they may do, you may have seen a baby do this, is kind of bring their knees up to their chest. A lot of times they'll do that. Majority of the time in a baby, if it is, it's just kind of gas pains, really. Um, and there are some things that you can do. You know, I've you've probably seen videos of people doing the bicycle thing with their little legs and um, where you lay the baby on their back and you kind of move their legs in and out just to kind of help move some of that around. Babies aren't up and moving like we are as adults. And so, therefore, they can get some of that kind of trapped gas and it can make them seem really uncomfortable. Um, if it was something severe with a baby, you know, um, something going on with their colon or um, a malrotation, sometimes the bowels can get twisted up on each on themselves or anything like that with the baby, they're going to show a lot more other signs. Like they're going to have blood in their stool. They're going to have persistent vomiting. They're going to have lots of problems. Um, so majority of the time, if it's just some upset stomach, gas kind of stuff, they're just going to be a little fussy. And you can just do like a little bit of the little exercises with them. And most of the time, it'll help get rid of that. Colic sometimes can be, you know, we don't really know exactly what causes colic, uh, but a lot of times babies will have a lot of similar symptoms, like with drawing their knees up some and they seem kind of gassy. And so there's a lot of theories that maybe there is something to the fact that colic has something to do with abdominal pain, uh, but we don't really know exactly what it could be. But those are all kind of common things that we see in our younger kid, um, in our younger babies. Now, as our kids get a little bit older, it can be a little bit, you know, there can be so many things that could be going on. I would say the number one reason we see kids complaining of abdominal pain, uh, besides just trying to get out of things, because that that's probably number one, <laughs> is when they don't want to go to bed or they don't want to go to school, um, they'll just tell you that their stomach hurts. Uh, but the number one, like, true reason is probably constipation. Um, and a lot of times, especially, you know, our, as, as parents and grandparents, you, you're pretty well in tune with what's going on with your infant because you're having to change their diapers. And then with your toddlers, because a lot of times you're still potty training them and they still need a little help in the bathroom. But once they hit like, you know, age four, a lot of times you kind of lose touch with what's happening in your kids' lives when it comes time to the bathroom, unless you just ask them every day. Um, and even then, asking a four-year-old or a five-year-old about their bathroom habits, they don't really know. <laughs> they don't really, they can't really tell you what's happening. You can ask them if they went to the bathroom today, and they'll say, yeah. And then you ask, you know, they don't, they don't really know. Um, so this is Sometimes when... Sometimes that's the way it is with my 14-year-old twins. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> I think we'd be past that by now. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, you just kind of lose touch with what's happening with them. And this is when we see, this is, I mean, we see this all the time, starting around kindergarten, all the way through, like, younger elementary, but even our teenagers sometimes, too. But I would say probably four- and five-year-old up until they're about 10 or 12, um, we see this all the time. Because they don't want to go to the bathroom at school, uh, because that's a big thing. I mean, 
nobody likes to go in public places. I mean, we're all human. We all have the same feelings, uh, but especially our kids. So we see this a lot because they don't want to go to the bathroom at school. Um, or in our younger kids, like in our four and five-year-olds necessarily, they don't really think like that as much. Theirs is more of, I don't want to stop to go to the bathroom. I'm playing, and if I hold it long enough, then that feeling will go away, and I'm good to keep going. Um, and so we see this all the time with constipation. And one of the telltale signs of constipation, when you ask a kid where their stomach hurts, they always point right around their belly button. Uh, so if you talk to your kid and they tell you that their stomach's hurting and they point to their belly button, try to figure out when the last time they went to the bathroom was. Uh, because majority of the time, that's going to be related to constipation. And that's an easy, easy fix that we can do. Uh, but that is very, very common. Some of the other things that you can think about is urinary tract infections, especially in our little girls. Girls tend to have more urinary tract infections than boys do, just based off anatomy. And so that can be a very common cause. Strep throat. I have seen multiple times kids come in complaining of abdominal pain and not have a sore throat at all. So basically what happens when you get strep throat, the body's reaction to that, you can get some inflammation in your abdomen and particularly in some of the lymph nodes down there. And it can cause some pretty significant abdominal pain. Um, so we see that a lot. Um, a lot of times it'll be kind of on that lower right side, which also makes you concerned for appendicitis. Uh, so it can be a little tricky, and but if it's something easy like strep throat that we can treat, we that's, you know, an easy quick fix. But yeah, so strep throat, urinary tract infections, obviously appendicitis is one that you don't want to miss. So appendicitis is going to be on that right lower side. And typically, not always, you're going to have some more like fevers, chills, um, it's going to be worse when they get up and move around because you get all that inflammation in, in the intestines in there just from the um, infection. And so what happens is when they get up and they move around and that sloshes those intestines around, it hurts even worse. So they can be pretty tender down there, and it hurts worse if they get up and they move around. Um, some of the other things to think about is like food intolerance problems, um, which we'll talk a little bit more about that. But, you know, milk allergies or lactose intolerance, celiac disease, um, those types of things. And then you have things like irritable bowel, which we're going to talk a little bit about that, too, um, which are all pretty common in our younger kids as well. And this kind of carries over into teenage years, too. So when should you be worried and when should you take your kid to the doctor? Um, you know, if you do, a, if you talk to your child and they tell you and you sounds like they're having regular bowel movements and they're still complaining of abdominal pain every day, then you definitely want to bring them in if it's not getting any better and it's happening more and more frequently. Um, and you've tried to fix the constipation and different things like that at home. Um, if they have fever, I always tell people fever and abdominal pain are usually never a good combination. That usually means something is going on. Now, it could be something just like a urinary tract infection or strep throat like we mentioned earlier. But typically, if you have fever and abdominal pain, we, we want to rule out any kind of surgical emergency. That's where my mind goes when I think of fever and abdominal pain, like appendicitis or um, any kind of abscess or anything like that that could be going on in your belly. So... 
if your child's complaining of a lot of abdominal pain and they also have a fever, or if it's sudden onset, that's another thing because a lot of times abdominal pain is kind of one of those kind of insidious processes. So it like gets a little bit worse each and every day. But if it all of a sudden just hits them out of nowhere and knocks them down, that's something to be concerned about. Um, another thing would be if it makes them not like it interferes with their activity. Because majority of the time, kids with headaches, stomach aches, that type of thing, they just keep on going. They may say their stomach hurts, but they just, if it's just like a little constipation, they're going to keep on playing. But if it's something serious, they're going to stop because it hurts them. Um, so if your child is complaining of abdominal pain and they stop playing, definitely want to get it, check it out. And then lastly, if it wakes them up from sleep. Uh, because just little basic stuff is not going to wake them up from sleep. Even something like your urinary tract infection and strep throat is probably not going to wake them up from sleep. Uh, but if it's something more serious like an appendicitis or an abscess or infection in their gut, that is when we worry because that, could be, that, that would wake them up from sleep. Uh, but typically with infants, most of the time it's just gassiness. A lot of times that will get better with just time um, and getting them up and moving them around, moving those legs, and it'll work its way out. As our kids get older, constipation, number one cause. Um, other than that, you think about urinary tract infections, strep throat, uh, food intolerances and allergies. And then you really don't want to miss something like an appendicitis, which would be on that lower right side of your abdomen for appendicitis. And then when would you call your doctor and when would you bring them in? Because kids complain about abdominal pain all the time. Uh, so the thing would be if it's persistent and it's causing them not to do their normal activity, so they don't want to go outside and play uh, because their stomach hurts so bad. Uh, if it was sudden onset, if it came out of nowhere, if they've got fever, or if it wakes them from sleep. Those are some of the big reasons that you want to make sure you bring them into their doctor and get them checked out. So let's talk about some of those common reasons people get abdominal pain. Constipation. I know this is something nobody ever wants to talk about, uh, but it's something that's happened to everybody out there, and you wouldn't believe how many complaints we get about this in clinic. I would say at least one to two times a day that we have this complaint from our patients in clinic. Um, so maybe this will give you some information uh, so you don't have to feel embarrassed to call in or go ask your doctor about it because nobody likes to talk about it for some reason, but it happens to all of us. Uh, so we'll talk about constipation. So constipation, people think of constipation that it's just not having a bowel movement. And I think that's where people get Pro, like have problems with this because they just think, well, I'm going to the bathroom, so that means everything's okay. But actually, if you're going to the bathroom and you're having really hard stools, that's still considered constipation. And so a lot of times people won't recognize the fact that their stools are harder which means they're getting a little constipated and more backed up. And then over time, it gets to be where it's so bad, then you're not going to the bathroom and you're having the pain and the gas and nausea and all the things that come along with it. So start if you start noticing the hard stools, that's when you want to intervene to hopefully prevent it from getting any worse. So that's something to think about. So it's not just going every day without a bowel movement. It's also if their stools are really hard. Some of the most common reasons for constipation is going to be diet, um, not getting enough fiber in your diet. And then the other thing is not enough water. People don't realize how big of an 
how much that makes a difference is if you're staying hydrated or not. Because you can eat all the fiber in the world, but if you're not drinking the fluids, then it's just bulking your stools and it's just actually making it a little bit worse. So you want to make sure you're drinking plenty, plenty of water, eating plenty of fiber. And then the other common reason is what we'll see in our kids, which is just holding it. Um, Because again, like I talked about, they don't like to go at school. They don't like to go in public places. They don't like to take the time stopping from what they're doing to go to the bathroom. And that just causes a backup. Um, We can even have problems, and some of you out there may have had this problem with, uh, you know, maybe even yourself as a kid or your child or grandchild, because we see this all the time. Parents will bring their kid in because they're having accidents. And so their parents will be washing their clothes and they'll notice that they see some stool in the underwear. And so they're like, why is my kid having accidents? He's eight years old. He, we've been potty trained for six years. What's going on? And so if you go and you take a good history, you realize that they're actually not having bowel movements. <clears throat> and so you think that they're having accidents and they're having a lot of times people think they're loose stools because it will be a little runny um, that we'll see and you know in their underwear. But what's happening is they've gotten so backed up that they don't realize and they don't necessarily feel the need to go to the bathroom anymore. And so what so a little background, you know, when you're ready to have a bowel movement, you know, you get that sensation of, I've got to go to the bathroom. So when the stool hits your rectum and your rectum stretches, you get the sensation, I've got to go to the bathroom, I need to have a bowel movement. If you ignore that for so long, then your rectum continues to stretch because it's still holding that stool that you haven't emptied. And then you lose that sensation of that feeling of, I need to go have a bowel movement. And so a lot of times what happens is some of the stool kind of leaks around that big bulky stool. I know this is nothing pleasant to talk about, but we literally have this happen in our clinic four to five times a week. So I want to make sure that you may be experiencing this out there with your child. So I want to throw that out there. But the stool has stretched out the rectum and that big old block of stools there and it kind of leaks around it. So it's it's that's what you're seeing in your child's underwear, your grandchild's underwear uh, when you're washing their clothes. And that's why it's happening. It's not necessarily that they're having accidents and they're not able to make it to the to the bathroom. It's they just don't even know it's happening, honestly. So what we and what a lot of times what we'll do when kids come in with this because Parents don't believe us when we say they're actually backed up because they think, oh, no, they're having diarrhea. But really, we'll get an x-ray of their abdomen because we do always like to confirm because a lot of times you can feel that stool when you're pushing on their belly and examining them. Um, But we'll get an x-ray and it'll just show tons of stool in there. Um, And that's kind of gives us our answer is we got to get cleaned out. And so that's what we'll do is we'll clean them out um, really good with some either Miralax or magnesium citrate, get everything moving and cleaned out, and then you kind of start afresh. And then after that, once you get them cleaned out and you stay on top of their constipation, majority of the time it fixes the problem and you don't have any issues. Um, Because again, it's not necessarily they can't hold it and that they're having accidents. They don't realize it's happening. And so you got to kind of retrain your body, get everything back to normal and reset and usually the problem goes away. But that's a very common uh, complication with constipation. Uh, The other thing that we see is rectal bleeding, um, and this is for kids and adults. We see this 
all the time. Um, in our kids, it's usually more due to like anal fissures uh, from stretching and irritation um, from them having the hard stools. So if you look down there, you'll see little cuts and scrapes kind of down there. In adults, it's usually hemorrhoids. Um, so we see that a lot, especially um, as you get older, just from the pressure from constipation. And it's usually shouldn't be a lot of blood. If it's a fissure or a hemorrhoid, you shouldn't have a lot of blood. And it's probably going to be red blood, uh, bright red blood. And it's not usually going to be in the stool. It's going to be more when you wipe. Um, so that's kind of a way to tell because a lot of people want to blame blood on hemorrhoids all the time um, and there'll be blood mixed in the stool and the in the toilet and it, it, it can be but majority of the time hemorrhoidal bleeding is just going to be when you wipe maybe a few drips in the toilet but it shouldn't necessarily be mixed in with your stool um, that would be something to be more concerned about um, so we talked about the you know, the main causes is going to be withholding and our diet, just what we're doing to ourselves, not having enough fiber, not drinking enough water. As we get older, um, so a lot of our patients, as they get older, sometimes they'll have these problems with it. And it makes us think more uh, other things. Our differential diagnosis or different causes uh, can expand. So a lot of times medications. So if you're on certain medicines, we see that all the time with medicines having GI side effects and constipation is one of them. Um, there's several, some blood pressure medicines out there, um, different diabetes medicines that cause upset stomach and problems. Um, but uh, want to make sure that if you're having this problem, look at your medicines, review your medicines with your doctor or your pharmacist and see if that one of those could be a cause. Uh, the thyroid is another big thing, especially in women. We see thyroid disease a little bit more in women for some reason, um, but that is a big common cause for that as we get older. So you want to make sure that if you're having a severe problem that you talk to uh, your doctor about maybe getting some blood work done. And then I will tell anybody, if you have not had problems with constipation or the reverse diarrhea um, any major change in your bowel habits and if you're over 40 years old you need to talk to your doctor about do I need to get a colonoscopy uh, we have seen now that they've changed the recommendations to start colonoscopies at age 45 for everybody um, it used to be 50 then they changed it to 45 if you're african-american and now they have changed it to really across the board everybody needs to start getting a colonoscopy at age 45 so if you're over 40 and you have a new change in your bowel habits you need to talk to your doctor about going on and getting that uh, colonoscopy early uh, because that could mean something is going on. Um, if you've never, if you've always had constipation and you're over 40 and you're still dealing with it, I'm not saying you have to necessarily. These are people who have never had problems. Um, they've always been, excuse me, pretty regular people who go to the bathroom and now all of a sudden they're having problems with constipation or vice versa. You've been pretty regular and now all of a sudden you're having loose stools all the time. You need to investigate that a little bit because that's not normal. Um, it shouldn't change so quickly. It very well could be nothing. Um, but the older you get, the higher risk you are for complications. And so you want to make sure you're doing all the investigations. I feel like most people know what I'm talking about when I say a colonoscopy. Um, but just, just in case, the colonoscopy is where... You put the camera up your bottom, and they are able to look throughout most of your colon, most of your large intestine, 
and a majority of your small intestine as well. And just looking for um, changes in there, particularly we're looking for polyps um, because sometimes certain polyps can turn into cancers. Um, obviously, you're looking for any signs of cancer. Um, and then you're looking for other changes, you know, um, some of the different illnesses that we can talk a little bit more about will show changes in the lining of the colon. Um, like if you have Crohn's disease and inflammation in there, it's going to show changes. If you have celiac disease, it's going to show changes in there. Um, and so it just kind of gives us an idea of what's going on um, in there. And so you want to make sure, again, if this if you're over 40 and you have new changes in that, um, changes in your bowel habits, you want to make sure you get a colonoscopy. And if you have blood in your stool, I think that kind of goes without being said that if you're over 40 and you have new blood in your stool, you've never had problems with hemorrhoids before, and now all of a sudden you're having blood in your stool, you want to go get that checked too. So that's kind of a, a lot there talking about constipation, but hopefully that answers some of your questions because I know this is something that not a lot of people want to talk about. Um, it's usually something I'll ask patients will have gone through all of their medical problems and their and their medicines, and I've said, is there anything you're worried about? And they hadn't said anything, and then they'll kind of always come back to it. Oh, oh, real quick, yeah, I've had some problems. You know, nobody wants to talk about it. They always wait till the very end. So maybe this answers your questions if this is something that you were worried about, but you didn't really want to talk to anybody about it. So we've talked about abdominal pain. We've talked about constipation. Um, those are two of the biggest complaints we see in our kids all the time. Um, and we see it some in our adults as well. And then lastly, before we get into some of the other diseases, I just wanted to run through diarrhea um, or loose stools because this is another common reason, another common thing we see a lot in our kids and adults. So the most common reasons for loose stools, um, obviously we talked earlier about constipation with medicines. Definitely want to look at medications as well, especially in our adults uh, because Diabetes medicines, especially some of the newer diabetes medicines, are notorious for causing this. Um, some of the thyroid medicines, you know, if you're taking too much thyroid medicine, that can cause it. Uh, a lot of the antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicines can do this as well. There is a ton of medicines out there that can cause this. So uh, first thing would be to look at your medication list. Uh, the other common cause would be like a virus. I would say this is probably the most common cause that we see. Uh, you know, and usually if it's a virus, it's only going to last a day or two. But one of the things that we see a lot, especially in our younger kids, is after a virus, and this is the same true for adults as well, after a virus, and you've had like a couple of days of diarrhea, um, a lot of times the lining of your colon can get a little irritated, and it gets inflamed and irritated. And what happens is you kind of have a transient time where you can't really break down lactose. So we don't necessarily see it as much in our adults because adults typically, you know, when, you're, um, when your stomach's been upset, a lot of times you make sure that you eat pretty bland foods. But in our kids, especially kids who are on breast milk and formula, they still have, they're still using lactose. There's, still a there's a ton of lactose in their diet. And even our toddlers, you know, who are still drinking a lot of whole milk, um, so you'll see this after you have like a really bad virus and upset stomach. They just can't absorb the lactose like they normally would be able to. So if you avoid lactose um, or you could switch your baby to like a soy formula for just a, a week or so, let everything kind of heal up a little bit and then 
you can usually reintroduce that lactose and dairy back into their diet. It's not saying that they're going to have an allergy or an intolerance to it forever. Most of the time you can just get back to it um, like normal after about a week or so. And that's what we've been dealing with at my house. Uh, You know, I told you all that kind of this is kind of what prompted it because we have been struggling um, with my daughter and we ended up having to switch her to a soy formula for about a week now. And finally, I think we've got everything under control. Um, but it, it will make you go crazy trying to figure out what could be causing it and trying to figure out what foods to avoid and and what's going on. But a lot of times just switching over to a lactose-free formula or a lactose-free diet can make a big difference. Um, in our kit, our toddlers, I mentioned earlier, um, fruit juices is one of the biggest reasons. Kids love juice, uh, but those juices have a lot of different types of sugars in in them that can be harder for the stomach and gut to break down. And so when that happens, they tend to have more frequent and loose stools. So one of the first things is if your toddler is having lots of problems with diarrhea or loose stools, look at their diet and see how much fruit juice they're taking in. And that goes with fruit, too. It's not just fruit juice. We see it more with juices, um, but fruits, too. Some of those sugars that are in them are a little bit harder to break down, and that causes that. And the food poisoning, I feel like that's another big common reason. Usually those are going to be pretty self-limited and get better within 12 to 24 hours. That's kind of one of the things that you how you would know if it was a food poisoning situation. If you had blood in there, you want to think about is there some kind of bacterial source, so you want to make sure you talk to your doctor about that as well. Get tested and make sure you don't need to be treated with any kind of antibiotics. Majority of like bacterial infections that do cause diarrhea and blood in the stool, they re- I mean our bodies do a good job of taking care of it. So people think they need medicines and antibiotics to fix it. Uh, but a lot of times our bodies will do it and do their job and take care of it and you don't really need antibiotics. Um, The only reason you would need to would be as if your symptoms aren't getting better. But I usually tell people, give it a good 48 to 72 hours. And then if it's still not getting better um, with some over-the-counter treatments, then you may want to get on some antibiotics to treat it if we know that there is a bacterial um, infection going on. And then speaking of uh, last little thing uh, with treatment-wise, we don't use antidiarrheals in our young kids. Um, so you want to make sure that they're older before you consider giving them anything like a modium. Talk to your doctor about that. Make sure they're at least kindergarten age um, before you consider doing that. So, but still talk to your doctor before you do that. So now I was going to talk a little bit about some of those processes. You know, we've talked some about the common complaints that we get in clinic and what are just some simple things that you could do and what to look for. But now I was going to talk a little bit about some of them. The disease processes. And irritable bowel syndrome is one of the more common ones that we see. And you probably, they used to do a lot of commercials for it. Um, I feel like I haven't seen as many commercials for it here lately. Um, But there, you know, irritable bowel is one of those common ones that we see a lot. Typically, we see it more in our females. I'm not really sure why. But it can happen in females and males. But typically, we just tend to see it a little bit more in our female patients. And in a lot of times in our younger patients as well. It does tend to run in the family. I don't necessarily know uh, the genetics behind it. But typically, if you talk to, a like if I'm evaluating a teenager and it sounds a lot like irritable bowel, the mom will say, oh, yeah, I have that too. Uh, it just t- tends to run in families. So there's a few different kind of 
symptoms that you would have with irritable bowel. Typically, we think about it more as constipation versus more as diarrhea, but you can have a combined. Like, you can be the type of person that has struggles with diarrhea, but also struggles with the constipation side of it. Um, Some of the other symptoms would be pain. Um, and it's usually a cramping pain. Now, I mean, it can it doesn't necessarily have to be cramping pain, um, but I feel like majority of the time that's what it is. And the other thing about irritable bowel syndrome is a lot of times when they have pain um, and they go to the bathroom and have a bowel movement, the pain typically gets better. So that's the other thing. Um, some of the other conditions like inflammatory bowel disease, like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, When they have bowel movements, their pain doesn't necessarily go away um, because that inflammation is still there. Whereas the irritable bowel, the spasms and the cramping pain typically gets better once you have the bowel movement. Bloating can be another thing. Um, The other thing with the irritable bowel, we see it a lot like line up with... um, symptoms with stress and anxiety so stressful situations anxious people tend to have worsening of the symptoms Um, now this is not always just because you have anxiety or you're stressed you're going to have this but if you have underlying problems with irritable bowel and you become having a stressful situation or um, you're an anxious person we typically see that sometimes flare up there's really no particular way to diagnose it um, and that's what can be kind of frustrating to patients sometimes it's more of a diagnosis diagnosis of exclusion that's the term we use for it so that means we've ruled out everything else and so we can diagnose it based off of that Um, it's kind of more clinical diagnosis there's no specific test it's not going to show up on a cat scan it's not going to show up on a blood test necessarily Um, so it's more of we've rolled out other things and we've used our clinical judgment as physicians and decided that this is probably what it is Um, we have william who is in indianola on the line good morning william uh, how you doing? I don't really have a, any trouble with my bowels right now. I did have diarrhea for a while, but uh, I think I'm over that. But uh, uh seems like, you know, in the wintertime, uh, I get the diarrhea sometimes. I can't hold it back, but uh seems like now it's summer I can do it. But, but anyway, the main thing is uh, when I wake up in the morning, I'm just itching all over. I mean, my head and my back, everywhere, I'm just itching, itching, itching. And uh, I start scratching, and after about maybe 10 or 15 minutes, it'll go away. And uh, this doesn't happen uh, uh, all the time, but it's been happening a lot lately. And I've been going to the wound care clinic where my legs have been swollen, uh, where I burned them three years ago. And every every summer, they break out in uh, sores that are weeping. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to get, go to the wound care clinic, get my legs bound up, and they put the salve over there, and and they get to give me antibiotics, and my legs swell up so bad. But I don't know what but to do about the itch. I asked them about the itch, and they said, "Oh, don't worry about it." But it, uh, you know, I, and when I have a good bath, sometimes it itches worse than when I'm dirty. But it's uh, it, it drives me crazy. The itch, it's just horrible. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that can be a frustrating thing because a lot of times we can't ever figure out what's causing it. Um, 
there's a few conditions to think about uh, that we would like to rule out and make sure. So we check some blood work and we make sure that there's nothing going on with your liver. Because sometimes if your bilirubin gets a little elevated, that can make you itch more. So we always want to check that. Um, Checking your thyroid, I feel like that's one that we usually like to check too. Um, and check your blood counts because sometimes it's not common, but if you have high, you know, have a high red blood cell count, so the opposite of what we think about with like anemia, you can get kind of itchy with that too. Um, so those are some of the biggest things that I think about when I think about people that complain about itching. I want to make sure I don't see anything in their blood work, something that's kind of hiding in there. But a lot of times it all comes back normal and we never really can figure out what it is. Sometimes I'll send patients to dermatology and let them take a look at the skin and make sure they don't see anything on there um, that could be causing it. Um, most, well, Oh, go ahead. Especially my legs now. You know, in the wintertime, I don't really itch too much, but my legs, since I burned them, where I burned them on both legs, my all, all up and down my legs, up to my kneecap, it looks like I've got fish scales with mm. the skin. Well, it up so bad, and it looks horrible, and it's constantly flaking and itching and itching, but it's not, uh, it's not many open sores coming up, but also in the wintertime, my hands itch so much, too. Well, so there's so a couple of things for your legs. So we see a lot of times when people get older, they get what we call venous stasis. And you know how you mentioned your legs swell and sometimes it'll like weep a little bit. That You probably have a little bit of that venous stasis. And what that means is the veins just aren't as good at bringing the blood back to the heart. And so you tend to get a little more swollen. And a lot of people, along with that, they'll get some skin changes. They'll get some redness there, or sometimes you'll notice they get kind of bluish purple too. But what comes, yeah, yeah, and then what comes along with that a lot of times is dry skin and flaking. Um, so you need to get a good moisturizer. Um, you want to make sure that you have one that's pretty thick because you don't want just like a a lotion that you can just pump out because those are usually thin. You want to get those really thick lotions that you have to like scoop out of a container um, and coat coat your legs with that. And then a lot of times the dermatologist too will give patients a steroid cream if it gets really bad with that itching, um, especially if it gets really irritated. So you can use that with along with the um, with the moisturizer. With regards to your hands, a lot of times in the wintertime it's just drier, and um, we wash, you know, we're washing our hands, and then it's just dry air, and it just it just makes them, you know, dry. So the biggest thing is moisturize, 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 and that will help. Um, but it sounds like you probably got some what we call venous stasis dermatitis, and you want to use a good moisturizer, and potentially maybe talk to your doctor about getting a steroid cream too. Yeah, I think I will. I never had it when I was younger that I can know of, except when I, when I broke my legs and I had my, I broke my ankle and I, I had a cast on my uh, foot and I kept scratching it and trying to scratch it and I broke it and I had to get it re-put on there because I broke it trying to swing my leg against the chair and try to cause the itch in the sky. Oh, goodness. Well, yeah, this is, it, that venous stasis is typically something we see as patients get older. So That's called venous stages? S-T-A-S-I-S. Okay. All right. Well, I've never heard of that. All right. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully, maybe get you uh, get you a good moisturizer, and you could start with just some hydrocortisone cream over the counter, and that should help some. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much, Doc. They didn't tell me about this. You really helped me out a lot. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Well, thanks for calling, William. We appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, so... We talked a little bit before the break about irritable bowel syndrome. And just real quick, I wanted to touch base about some treatments for it because some people out there listening may think, well, you know, that may be me out there that has some of these you know, signs and symptoms. Because a lot of times people hear these common things and they're like, oh, yeah, I think that's what I have. So what can you do about it? So there's not any good treatment. Just like I said, there's no great way to diagnose this. There's not a very good treatment out there for it. A lot of the stuff is just supportive. So if you're one that tends more for the constipation side of things, um, you know, making sure you're staying regular, Miralax is mine of choice, especially for irritable bowel, um, because that with that irritable bowel, people get a lot of spasms and that cramping kind of pain. And a lot of the laxatives that we have that make you go um if you don't go right away you get that kind of cramping pain again so it just seems to kind of like make that a little bit worse as opposed to something like miralax which is um an osmotic laxative so what you do is you drink the powder and you drink plenty of water and it helps absorb more water which just helps make your stools a little bit smoother and make you go to the bathroom and you don't really get that cramping pain so that's in particular why i like miralax um, and so you want to make sure you're staying regular. Uh, probiotic can be very helpful. So we don't really know exactly what causes irritable bowel syndrome. Some of the theories, though, were that, uh, you know, you've got good bacteria in your gut, too, and some of there's like an off balance with that good and bad bacteria in your gut. And so giving yourself some probiotics and restoring that natural, what we call biome, um, that is the natural good bacteria in your gut, can make a big difference too. Probiotics can be a little bit more expensive, and unfortunately, they're not covered by insurance, um, which is very unfortunate. So some of the things that you can do is maybe try to eat some yogurt that has some probiotics in it. But I'm telling you, probiotics make a big difference. Um, I'm a big believer in them. I think they, I've seen them personally work in a lot of people. Um, and so I know they're not cheap, but they're definitely worth it. So I always try to tell people to find the coupons um, for Walgreens or Walmart or Kroger, wherever it may be, and try to stock up on them when you get the coupons because they can get pricey. It ends up being about $30 per month uh, just for this probiotic. And then you may want to talk to your doctor about um, like some antispasm medicines. Uh, that's another thing that we'll do. We've got a lot of medicines out there that just kind of help those muscles and the colon when they contract and they go kind of haywire just to calm those down. There's some newer medicines out there, too, um, like some antibiotics, Cifaxin. I, I feel like that was probably the commercial that used to be on all the time when people were talking about irritable bowel syndrome. And again, the thought process of that is just to kind of restore in that gut natural biome. Um, and there may be some things out there that you've found to be good. There's lots of newer medications out there, too, from that, that the GI specialist that you would need to see for the GI specialist to go over that with you. 
Um, but there's a lot of things that people have found um, in their own experience that have been helpful for them. So maybe if you're listening and you found one, um, send us an email and let us know and we can share that with everybody because a lot of people know have found little over-the-counter remedies and things that they have found that works for them. And then the other big thing for irritable bowel is to figure out what causes it. I mean, what str- like what certain stressors trigger it because I feel like that is that's one of the biggest things is if you can determine what brings it out in you because a lot of people can find there are certain triggers and stressors that tend to make it worse. Um, so trying to do like a little diary, symptom diary, and keep up with what that is that could be triggering it. Um, but this has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. Hopefully this has been some helpful tips for you when it comes to these GI complaints. Um, if we missed anything, you can always send us an email and we'll be happy to get back to you, kids at mpbonline.org. Uh, today's show is engineered by Jay White. Join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.